Yes, God has provided a spotless lamb. In fact, Isaiah prophesied about him 700 years before he was born, when he said he was oppressed and afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shears is dumb, so he openeth not his mouth. John the Baptist announced the arrival of the lamb in John chapter 1 when he says, Behold the lamb of God. Peter, who spent three and a half years with the Lamb, spoke of him in 1 Peter chapter 1, where he says, For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold, from your vain conversation received from the tradition of your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as a Lamb without blemish and without spot. If our greatest need had been information, God would have sent an educator. If our greatest need had been technology, God would have sent a scientist. If our greatest need had been money, God would have sent an economist. If our greatest need had been pleasure, God would have sent an entertainer. But our greatest need was forgiveness. So God sent his son, the Lamb of God, our Savior. You see, the message of the perfect Lamb, our Savior, was first delivered to a group of shepherds. And we see that in Luke chapter 2 as the angels meet with the shepherds. The shepherds uh, uh, were not uh, prominent people. In fact, the meeting did not come to the mighty and powerful, but to the needy and the poor in spirit. The Bible says, and there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone run about them, and they were sore afraid. Now, according to she uh, historians, shepherds were despised by the good, respectable people of Jesus' day. According to the Jewish oral tradition known as the Mishnah, shepherds were under a ban. In fact, shepherds were to keep a wide berth from anybody else to not come in contact with them. Just like lepers uh, were to cover their mouth and anybody that came within a certain proximity of them, they were to shout out, unclean, unclean, unclean. Shepherds were viewed in the same way. They were regarded as thieves. The only people lower than shepherds during this time period were lepers. And what a reminder to the fact that God comes to those who see, God comes to those who see their need. He doesn't come to the self-sufficient, those who have everything together, those who have their ducks in a row, if you will, but he comes to those who understand their desperateness and their neediness. In fact, Paul spoke about this in 1 Corinthians when he was talking about the spirit uh, that is receptive to the message of the gospel. He says, for you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God hath cho chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world, uh, to, the things that are despised, hath God chosen, yea, the things which are not, to bring to naught the things that are. You see, these shepherds no doubt saw their need. And maybe that's why God chose to speak to them first about the message of the Messiah. 
And then we also see in Luke chapter 2 the message of the angels. The Bible says, And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. Now the message was to not fear. To not fear. Now the radiant pureness of God's glory expressed through his messenger angel no doubt caused fear and trepidation in the hearts of these shepherds who were used to the lonely dark nights in the pasture. It's not every day the starry night is overshadowed by the radiance of the presence of the messenger of God known as an angel. The literal translation of the phrase, fear not, is they feared a great fear, so the angels said, fear not, calm down. And then the message, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. Good tidings, good news, the same word from which we get the word gospel. The angel, in essence, said, I bring you the one who will be the gospel, the good news to the world. Now, the gospel, we understand, brings joy to everyone who receives it. Which brings me to a question this morning. Have you received the message of the gospel which is intended to bring joy to all people? You see, happiness consists of me dealing with the circumstances around me as they happen and me being fond of those circumstances and me then being happy. Joy, on the other hand, comes from God. Joy is unmoved. Joy is a pleasant awareness that no matter what happens to me, everything is going to be okay, and I am ultimately all right. Now, the shepherds didn't realize it, but the angel was explaining that these good tidings, this good news, this gospel and its joy would ultimately change the world. The message was about the Messiah. Luke chapter 2, verse 11 says, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. Now the long-awaited Messiah had finally come. And who was told first? Shepherds were told first. The Messiah didn't come as a full-grown adult ready to unshackle Israel from the hands of Rome. He came as a baby. As the Bible says, for unto us a son is born. Unto us a child is given. He came as a baby. He was born wrapped in swaddling clothes, found lying in a manger. Divinity trapped in humanity. In the Bethlehem manger, he was uh, uh, as much God as, his, as he had always been. But he limited himself to the constraints of the body of a baby. I like what one author said, truly human, the Son of God subjected himself to his own creation and its physical laws and their ups and downs. He would experience the development of human reason and language. He would be taught things he did not know. He walked like a baby before he walked like a man. He thought and talked like a baby before he thought and talked like a man. The growing pains of the Son of God were just as real for him as they were for us. 
And the Bible tells us that these shepherds were told that in the city of David, a place known as Bethlehem, which literally means the house of bread, they would find the bread of life, our Savior, who would save people from their sins. And here this message was first brought to those that were despised by the rest of the world. And so the message is this. Even, even those that are despised by the rest of the world, Jesus has come to save. I love what Luke says in chapter 19. The Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. And the message glorified God. Notice what the Bible says, And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God. Now, the original language indicates that the heavenly host that appeared to the shepherds was horizon to horizon. So at first there was one angel and he gives the message. And then as uh, they look up again, the whole horizon is lit up with the angels from horizon to horizon saying glory to God in the highest. And on earth peace, goodwill towards men. All glory be to God, because God in the person of Jesus Christ has come to earth as a demonstration of God's goodwill to men, and now there can be peace between man and God, and there can be, be peace between man and man. We see the meeting of the shepherds, the message of the angels, and then we see, lastly, the impact of the angel's message. We see in Luke 2.15, it says, And it came to pass, as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Let us go now, even unto Bethlehem, and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord hath made known to us. Now the shepherds first had to see for themselves. They reasoned with each other, and when they went to see him, they found exactly what they were looking for. Now, the most important person we understand in all of the history of the world is Jesus Christ. He who has always been and he who will always be chose to dwell in our space and in our time in the Bethlehem manger. We call that incarnation, God becoming flesh. John says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and this life was the light of men, and light shineth in darkness, and darkness comprehendeth it not. And then the Bible says, and the Word was made flesh and dwelt or tabernacled among us in the person of Jesus, and we beheld His glory as the only begotten of the Father full of grace and truth. G.K. Chesterton, today he did come. It has never been quite enough to say that God is in heaven and all is right with the world, since the rumor is that God has left his heavens to set it right. The shepherds found that out for themselves. God, in the person of Jesus Christ, left the heavens to set things right in the world. And anyone that has an encounter with Jesus Christ is never the same. 
In fact, in Acts chapter 9, Saul of Tarsus, one of the most prominent Jews of his day, was on his way to Damascus with the intent to find the followers of Jesus Christ and rally them up to persecute them. He had permission from the Jewish officials at Jerusalem to carry out these uh, uh, acts of persecution. And here's what the Bible says. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven, and he fell to the earth. And he heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord Jesus said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. In other words, uh, uh, God had been trying to get his attention. Jesus had been trying to get his attention. No doubt when he stoned Stephen and had Stephen stoned uh, by the Jewish elders, no doubt as he had persecuted other people, God was trying to get Paul's attention. And Jesus said, I've been trying to get your attention. I've been poking you in the side. You haven't been paying attention to me, Saul. And the Bible says, and he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise, and go into the city, and it shall be told what thou must do. After this encounter with Jesus Christ in Acts chapter 9, Paul acknowledging Jesus as his Lord and Savior, Paul would never be the same. In fact, the greatest persecutor of Christianity became the greatest promoter of Jesus Christ. And the fact of the matter is, when we have an encounter with Jesus Christ, we are never the same. God wants to set it right in our world. And if you've not had an encounter with Jesus Christ, here's the deal. God may be speaking to you just like he was speaking to Saul. He uses creation to get our attention that he's real, he's legitimate, and he desires relationship with us. He uses his word to illuminate us to the truth of the gospel, the message of the death and the burial and the resurrection and what Jesus has done for us. And then he pricks our heart and our mind and our soul. And then we have an opportunity to choose or reject as the Holy Spirit is trying to illuminate us, enlighten us, help us to respond to the truth. And then as Christians on a daily basis, we make a choice of whether or not, as John 15 says, we are going to abide in Him understanding that the branch, us, we cannot bear fruit of ourselves except we abide in the vine. In other words, if we're going to have a life that bears fruit, the fruit of the Spirit, if we're going to have a life that bears fruit, the fruit of other Christians, if we're going to have a life that is what uh, God's plan, His intention for ourselves, it's not going to happen unless and with us abiding relating to God through the person of Jesus Christ. And then we see the impact of the angel's message to the shepherds. Once they encountered the Lord Jesus, even in the Bethlehem manger, they had to tell others. Notice what the Bible says, And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. 
And all they that heard it wondered at those things that were told them by the shepherds. Now, fellow believers, we cannot save anyone. You don't have the power to save anybody. I don't have the power to save anybody. Our church doesn't have the power to save anybody, but we can point them to the one who can. And that is exactly what the shepherds were trying to do. Point others to the Lamb of God who had come to take away the sins of the world. You know, when the Bible says in Matthew chapter 28, verses 18, 19, and 20, it says, and it gives us the Great Commission, it says, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you alway, even unto the end of the world. Amen. When it gives that great commission, the literal Greek translation of the first part of it is this, as you are going, in your everyday interactions in life, as you are going, make disciples. And that's the opportunity every one of us have after having an encounter with Jesus. Now, this coming Saturday, we'll celebrate Christmas on Christmas Eve at 4 p.m., at 6 p.m. Then on Christmas morning, we'll celebrate Christmas at 9 a.m. as a church family. And you can always take advantage of the opportunities to share Christ with your friends and neighbors and family and coworkers. You can always take advantage of those opportunities to point others to Jesus Christ. But here's an opportunity for you to invite somebody at a, at a setting that is uh, uh, normal for, for people, even in secular culture, to celebrate a, a, a holiday like Christmas. And you could get them here and they could hear the message of what Christmas is all about. Now, when Jesus came to the earth the first time, he came as a lamb, as a babe in a manger, divinity trapped in humanity. But I want you to understand something. Christmas uh, does this for me. When he comes again, he is coming as the lion of the tribe of Judah. And Christmas always reminds me of that. Now, in Revelation chapter 4 and 5, uh, uh, we're taken into the throne room of heaven. Just before the horrors of the tribulation period uh, uh, take place where uh, God allows the seal judgments to take place and the vile judgments, the bold judgments, and, and the trumpet judgments, and basically, literally, all hell will break loose, literally. And those things, those judgments will be used to purge the world. And then in the end, in Revelation chapter 19, Jesus will come to take and claim the earth as his own. But before all of that happens, we're taken in to the throne room of heaven. One of my favorite passages in all of the Bible. The Bible says that when I saw the right hand of him that sat on the throne, a book within and on the backside, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof? 
And then he would say that the book represents the title deed of the earth. The one who has the book can claim the earth as their own. And then the Bible goes on to speak. It says, and no man in heaven and no man in earth, neither under the earth, was able to open the book, neither to look thereon. Now, there were probably many wanting, but there was no one worthy. Then the Bible tells us that John uh, weeps much because no man was found worthy to open and read the book, neither to look thereon. And one of the elders saith with me, one of those that represent uh, the, the Christians that are in heaven, uh, said unto me, Weep not. Uh, behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seals thereof. And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne and of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders, stood a lamb as it had been slain having seven horns and seven eyes, and were given the seven spirits of God, sent forth into all the earth. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat on the throne. Uh, the lamb takes the book, the title deed of the earth, and he takes it out of the hand of God Almighty. And when he had taken the book, the four beasts and the four and twenty elders fell down before the lamb having every one of them harps and golden vials full of orders, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to our God by the blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation and hast made us with unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. That is for us, believers. He came the first time, yes, as a lamb, as a babe in the manger. But when he's coming again, he's coming as the lion of the tribe of Judah. And he's going to set everything right. Everything that is broken is going to get fixed. Every economic failure is going to be righted. The accounts are going to be put in balance. Every woe in the world is going to be righted. And then the Bible goes on to say, And I beheld and heard the voice of many angels round about the throne and the beasts and the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom, and strength, and honor, and glory, and blessing. Christmas always reminds me of his incarnation. But more than that, it always reminds me of his glorification when he is going to set right all things that are wrong in the world. And there will truly be peace and goodwill towards men.